0: Hey everybody, this is D Madden from Music Mindfulness and Madness, checking in from beautiful downtown, not downtown, southeast side, Selwood, Portland, Oregon. We are out this week. We're going to be out for Thanksgiving. We're taking a bye. Um, But uh, for the first time, we're going to try something else out. We actually have enough episodes as you know, Mike, Michael likes to intro by saying we have 4,335 episodes, but we don't actually have that. It's probably more like around 61, 62. Definitely plenty enough um, to share with you some of the older stuff that you might not have caught early on. And uh, as an expression of gratitude uh, and dedication to to my near and dear old friend, Jesse, Rodriguez, who um, I dedicated my new album to. The album, of course, is called "Paisley Madrigals." That, uh, um, as at the time this this comes out, is going to be available on all the stream the streaming services. It's already out on Bandcamp. Check it out. Very happy with how it came out. Very happy with uh, the work my friend Jason Luckett uh, contributed to it, and uh, Michael Hatley. Uh, Of course, did some guitar stuff, contributed and and did all the mastering work. Check it out. Really happy with how it came out. And uh, I just wanted to share this episode again to honor uh, my friend who passed away, sadly, uh, near the beginning of the shutdown. Have fun. Enjoy your Thanksgiving and enjoy the show. Good morning, Michael Haley. Hey, D. Madden. I I I uh I I get for clump at the beginning of these because I, I feel like we need to have some some kind of hook. Like like well, like some kind of hook at the beginning of the end where we should where we say something. Do the some same catchy thing at the beginning and the end.
1: Some signature branding thing. So yeah. We really, we really work our brand. Is that what we're talking about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, these are the things I obsess on. There, there's, there. I have a pet peeve about a lot of the, the YouTube channels and, and and podcasts in that uh, there's this, there's this thing that they do, especially like a lot of a lot of the YouTube channel guys do, where, where they start saying, "Hey guys, hi everybody," and it's like, dude, you're I, I don't know why that it just bothers me. You're, you're talking to a camera. You're talking to a camera. Like sometimes they yell at the screen. I say stop it! Just just get to the thing you want to talk about. Like it, it, especially with like music tech stuff, like they just be like, "Hey everybody, blah 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 blah." And today I'm gonna do... So just just get to it, man. Just get to it. Just stop. Stop it. Stop I think,
1: it. I think that's our signature right there. It's just we'll do D's rant first thing. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> it just it bugs the hell out of me that and um, like everybody, oh, everybody opens up a welcome. Which I, I guess is normal. It's a pleasantry, but I don't know. I don't know, Michael. I I, I feel like uh, like there's like there's something else that that I, I feel like we need to f- to fight the power, you know. Fight fight the powers that be. Fight the um, status quo.
1: I just want to own the power. Yeah, that's it. I'm just owning it. It's yours. You want some? You want some power?
0: (laughs) That's man. That's how we have to open. Own the power. I know a guy. Own own the power, everybody. Own own the power. So uh, so today, Michael, I was thinking. Well, we were thinking um, that uh, in in the ongoing. Uh, arc of of our um, collective history that uh, that maybe we could talk about a, a little side project that I worked on, which was the first proper thing we did together, called bunk.
1: Okay, bunk. Well, you also mentioned you wanted to have this be this show, this particular episode, be a bit of a tribute.
0: In a way, yeah. Because while I wanted to talk, um, so th- there's a couple of things about bunk. There's, there's some things uh, about leading about uh, the events leading up to what bunk became that I'm not sure you even know. Uh, and I thought it would I thought it would be a good thing to tell. And and um, I I really wanted to do to talk about bunk because. Uh, bunk ended up being a a significant turning point for me creatively and ended up being the thing that dictated in no small part, uh, what I ended up doing for the next 10 years or so.
1: Mm. Let's, let's start with what bunk was and is, or was, I guess. Sure. Um,
0: so it was around, Back back in back in the late 1880s, I, I think it was uh, it was 1990, and um, I've talked about this before. But uh, at at the time, I was playing in, in a goth band called X Photo, and uh, and we were all uh, all of us in the band were living together in a house in Garden Grove that we used to call the Banger House because it was on a street called Banger. It was right down the street from uh, Disneyland, and it be, and it uh, kind of ended up becoming the hub for all of our friends, and um, and uh, had a lot of parties there and stuff, and uh, and and we did a lot of what Larry used to call "creep sessions," where we just invite a bunch of people over and, and press record on the four track and make stuff. That was like a regular Sunday thing. Every Sunday we did it. Every Sunday uh, a bunch of our friends would come over. Um, late morning, early afternoon, after everybody rolled out of bed from Saturday night. And, uh, um, we'd set up, we, we always had, we, uh, we rehearsed in the living room. The the living room was just a permanent setup and, uh, everything was permanently set up. The four track was already wired up and ready to go. And, uh, we just go into the room and, and usually somebody would, would already have a couple of ideas for things. And uh, we noodle on them for a couple minutes and then uh, Larry would press record and, and then we'd go. Um, and, and we kept that going the entire time we were in the house that, that I would even um, kind of get it going. And in, um, in the times that uh, Larry and Linda were, they would take a lot of trips and stuff. And when they were gone, I would, I would just kind of keep it going. Like Dave Ryan would call me and go, hey, you, you want to do something? I'm like, sure. And uh, him and I did stuff. Uh, on Creep Sundays, that ended up being songs that made their way into the x set. So we were doing that stuff, and um, at some point, my friend Jesse Rodriguez um, came over. Uh, Jesse was a very old friend. He he was he was a fixture in the in the early early Huntington Beach punk rock scene. His brother uh, was the guitar player of China White. Um, he was in a band, he, he fronted a band, um, called the clan. Um, not meant to be like a a white power thing at all. It was, you know, at the, at the time it was meant to be an an, an ironic name. Um, he sang in that band for a while and and they had, they had a a bit of a Rodney on the rock hit for 15 minutes. Uh, they did a version of pushing too hard. Mm. They did a version of "Pushing Too Hard" that Rodney played all the time. Uh, Jesse wasn't in the band by the time they recorded that, but he was—he was the one of the—he was the OG singer of that band. Then he went on to—he played—he went on to be in this band called Landscape of Sound, which at the time was in in the scene in Orange County. Huntington was was really kind of one of the first, like one of the early proper post punk bands. Like he, they were. They were doing; they had a very Roxy Music kind of thing going on, um, and it was really cool. Uh, when before X Voto, I was uh, playing in a band with Larry called Primal Dream. Larry, Linda, and I were, were in this band together called Primal Dream, and and, and Gregory, the original singer of of X Voto, and we played shows with him a few times. Um, and I just just knew I just knew Jesse from from all that from just, from just the scene and stuff. And then, um, sometime shortly, sometime in the mid eighties, we reconnected and we got to be really tight and I spent a lot of time at, um, at Jesse's house. Now, now Jesse, Jesse's, Jesse lived in Huntington beach, right? Uh, like spitting distance from uh, a pretty well-known club in Huntington called night moves. And, um, his parents had moved to Berlin uh, sometime in the early 80s. And, and then, as his, his brother, his brother was much older, his brother got married and moved out. So it was, uh, it was the, the, the quintessential lunatics that take, have taken over the asylum kind of house. Um, he was still in his early twenties, and all of his friends were in his early in their early twenties. And then he was basically just he this this he was just the housekeeper of this house, and then he sublet a bunch of rooms to his friends, and um, it pretty quickly became anarchy. It was just party central. Like it just became it, it it became this sort of legendary place in those circles. It was known as the Paisley because it was on a house it was on a, it was on a street in a housing tract up the street from night moves called Paisley Lane. Um, he, he, uh, and, and so that, that, that just became everybody's uh, every, that became the place everybody congregated at, like uh, as, as pre-funk before going out. And then really more often than not, um, it, it became the, the post going out, hangout um, for a lot of us. There was a there was a club that, was, that would happen. On, there was a regular club that happened um, in Night Moves in Huntington on Thursday nights in the 80s called, called The Bad Trip. Um, and uh, the guy that ran it was, uh, was a really famous, pretty famous DJ. He was like one of the first DJs in town that would mix like glam rock and ACDC and, and with, with punk rock stuff. And he just played like a little bit of everything. It was pretty great. Um, It became a really popular night. It was always packed. Um, So in in those days, I I would go to the bad trip. And then at some point, uh, everybody would say, hey, let's let's around. I don't know, one or two. When they started kicking people out, everybody would just say, well, we're going to the Paisley. So we go hang out at the Paisley. Now, the, the Paisley was pretty crazy. It the, the way things would kind of go in those days, everybody would congregate at the Paisley after bad trip and usually not leave until Sunday night. <laughs> like wow. that, that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, people would just float in it. Like it, 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 it's, it's something I'm sure I did a few times. Um, people just would just, just congregate there after bad trip and then just, then just hang out, just hang out. And, uh, and if they didn't have to work Friday, uh or if they did have to work they'd call in sick and uh and everybody would just kind of float in and out and hang out until sunday night go back to work monday and then do the whole thing over again and that was kind of that was kind of the the scene of the paisley um jesse jesse um through through my connection with him when i started planning an ex voto uh i um I brought him around the house, the banger house a few times, and uh, he came to some X-Photo shows. He was a big fan of X-Photo. Uh, and he got to be pretty tight with Larry, too. And Larry loved him because he was, uh, unlike unlike the rest of us, he was a little bit closer to Larry's age. And I think they had a little more shared history than the rest of us did with, with Larry. Um, so Larry really liked him. Uh, in 1990, Jesse... Um, Decided, I I can't even remember what, 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 uh, what, uh, why he made, why he decided to do this, but uh, he decided to move to Berlin. His mom, uh, his mom was German, and I think he's got, he had a bunch of family there, I know. Um, And uh, I I think maybe he was just, maybe through some combination, just being burnt out with, with life at the Paisley. And uh, just feeling like he was at a point where he needed a, a change of scenery, he decided to move. So that the, like the weekend before he, he, he flew out, he came and stayed at the Banger house. And um, we, we had like a, this marathon weekend-long creep session with him. And we recorded a whole bunch of stuff. We recorded a whole bunch of stuff that Saturday, recorded a whole bunch of stuff that Sunday um somewhere in there larry larry out of the blue goes hey why don't we flip the script on the bass and the guitar and and i think i was i had a guitar on at the time and and uh, larry just goes why don't you try to do something like that you think a bass would do on this song like we started noodling on something and he goes How's about we just like flip the responsibilities and and you play something on guitar like that would be something like you would play on bass? And then, and then I think Jesse, I think Jesse might have been playing bass possibly on this. It was either Jesse or Larry. Um, Or maybe Jesse was, I can't remember. A lot of this is going to be fuzzy. Um, But I, I remember him going, why don't bass player, why don't you play something like? uh and just play it the way you would play on guitar and then you D, go play something on guitar the, that, that sounds like a bass line but play it on guitar and that was the first recording of spiritualize so spiritualize was kind of was kind of ground zero for, for the whole idea um and uh it came out really good and we liked it
1: um this we, is for uh bunk the first bunk song yeah okay um, so we did
0: that and we all liked it. And, uh, of all the things we recorded that day uh, over that weekend, that was like the thing that, that Larry and I kept picking back up and going, wow, Jesus, this is, this is I, I feel like we're onto something here. This is really neat. This was like one of those experiments that, that just worked out really well. Um, and, and we, you know, we played it and played it and played it. And then, uh, at some point, Larry, got, we were, ha- we were at a, having an expert, Experter, ex-voto rehearsal one day and then larry just blurted out like from out of nowhere he goes he goes i want to fucking start a band where i just sing through a distortion pedal and i and i sing in that voice that i sang in in that in the <laughs> <recording."> <laughs> uh, yeah. and, he, and he go, and then he goes and he goes i just want it to be fucking bass and drums and that's it and i want to fucking call the band bunk and i was like oh be fucking awesome now the the name bunk the name bunk you should know actually uh the name bunk uh i I don't know if larry even knows this but but i'm pretty sure it's true uh jesse jesse had had his own like vernacular he had his own descriptions for things like he would just he would describe things in, in in weird oblique ways um uh, it's, he would refer to something, somebody, somebody, or someone being, being mellow or relaxed or comfortable in their skin as comb, Like that dude's comb. <laughs> <laughs> that's so It's like, what is that? Comb? I ended up, and I ended up using that name for my ambient stuff. So hmm. the ambient stuff I do, I call the comb series, which is, was inspired by that's Jesse vernacular for mellow laid back but the other mm. thing the other thing the other word he would use all the time was bunk like dude that's so bunk that's so bunk like everything was bunk everything that was like fucked up or wrong in some way he would refer to as bunk and um i no doubt he was probably just you know, he was talking that way during, during those creep sessions or you know just hanging out with us and uh and and then larry blurs out this thing i want to i want to call a band fucking bunk And I just wanted to be a singer, a bass player and drums. Like Fuck. Yeah. I mean, at, at that Mm -hmm. point for me, I was, I was ready to do something like that. I I was, I think, I think he was too. We were both feeling, feeling a little um, burnt out on the X photo thing. It's just something that happens, you know, you play with somebody long enough and you, you, you come up with a platform and an idea and you just keep, you, you keep, hammering on that platform and that that idea eventually you're going to get get a little burnt out on you just have to try something new to you know just to have a fresh perspective on the th- the main thing you do you know i guess i i do that a lot too. i still do that i that was something that was probably something i learned from larry um and we were both ready we were just fucking ready to do something that wildly different from x photo so um he, it's so, so he said that I was like, oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm, I'm fucking in. And, um, I started, we started thinking about, um, uh, like a demo, like putting a demo together. You know, it just goes back to the thing I was talking about in the last episode. When you're not sure what you're going to do next, make a demo and then share it with people. So we started talking about it, but we we only had that one song at that point, I think. So uh, after work, I was coming home and I started playing around with beats and stuff um, and playing around with different ideas that 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 I felt like were kind of along the same lines. And I would I would do I would crap out like, you know, a minute worth of something. And then Larry would come on and go, what do you think of this? He'd go, Oh, that's great. And then he would come up with with words. And then eventually we had. Uh, after doing that for a few weeks, we had, you know, seven or eight songs. And um, somewhere in there, one of us asked you if you would be down to play bass on this thing. I think. I think that's how it went. Um, And Larry uh, went to Danny Kearney, our friend Danny Kearney, who had a studio in Garden Grove, borrowed his Atari A-track and dragged it over to the house, (laughs) wired everything up, he would which he, he would which was not uncommon for him to do at the time. He would go, you know, if he ever he did this with with a few ex photo demos as well. He would he would go to Danny and say, Hey, can I borrow your Atari for the weekend or for a week? And Danny would be, be, Yeah, cool. I don't have any work to do right now. Danny played in a top 40 band. So it was he would often be off in some week-long engagement at a ski lodge or something like that. And 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 so whenever that happened, Larry would say, Hey, can I borrow your, your Atari? Now for those of you who, who have never seen an Atari half-inch A-track, it's it's like the size of a small refrigerator, right? It's it's a proper multi-track recorder on wheels, um, and it's it's not an easy thing to lug around. It's not like you know pulling a portable four-track um, out of out of out of a out of a console and throwing it in, on your on your back seat. It was it was a non-trivial thing to move around. So he borrowed, but he borrowed it. He was he always always had access to it borrowed it and then uh we recorded a bunch of a bunch of monk stuff over um over like a I think it was like a period of like a week or something like that Michael
1: your memory is better than mine on this I'm I'm you know I don't I vaguely remember Jesse I remember Larry oh, obviously that's Jesse. You might have he was, a few times yeah it's maybe it was spotty that was that was you know some crazy times as they say it's very crazy times so i'm going to defer to your memory on this so so
0: larry so in addition to the the the, the crazy um base through the excuse me the bass through the rap pedal idea with just the drums larry had this, this other he this other this other he uh, this other uh parameter or constraint for lack of a better term was uh he decided that He would. There would always be a synth that would drone out in the root note of the key of the song. So, and it was always fun when the the few times we played it live, uh, we did this live because he 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 would bring his Juno sixty, and uh, he would just hold down a chord and then and then just uh, hold you know click the latch button and just let it go, and then that that would just be underneath the song. And that you know that was all like his kind of brainchild and like it, that part of it is, is just, is crazy. me. it's like, what, you know, it's, it's one of those things like, how did he think to do that? You know, it, and, and the way, the way he, I think the way he framed it or the way that I guess I kind of framed it is, it was almost like he wanted, he wanted it to be like, like this ambient music thing. Like if you peeled away the drums and the bass and, and, and and you listen to what was underneath, it would just be like, Brian Eno music for airports, you know, like a rat pedal. Yeah, like he just (laughs) liked it. It 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 was one of those things where like he had the idea to do that, and it just made perfect sense when you heard it all together. Um, but it was this crazy juxtaposition of like these this heavy these heavy heavy drums and heavy bass, and then and then just like some kind of drone string thing underneath, and 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 then that became kind of the thing, like with each song. Uh, whenever we wrote a new one, we'd, we'd write the bass, we'd work out the, the the drums and bass arrangements, and then go, okay, what are we going to drone out on underneath them? Like we'd just pick a patch on the Juno, and then and, and just try to find one that that worked without uh, sounding too dissonant or, or messed up. And it just worked. It just all kind of worked, you know. Um, but it it was great. Uh, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here and play a few things. So I, I just I wanted to I'm gonna we're gonna put some links in the um, in the episode here that uh, there are some recordings of this stuff that that Michael and I and Larry did on SoundCloud, uh, and this is the re-recording of the song that became Ground Zero. It's called Spiritual Lies. That makes everything <laughs> now the other thing the other thing about You're these songs is, the, uh, with the that's that's a sample from a ken russell movie is that we started we landed on this idea of, of having these samples and segs and that became a trope that, that we ended up using the penal colony and that's that's the that was the what
1: you just did yeah that was ridiculous now i'm remembering now
0: the the best thing about it was like todd and i were like as soon as he as soon as larry blurted out that idea our friend todd bernard and i were so into it and we and and the and the best thing about it was the entire time we were recording we were just bursting into laughter every time we listened to what we did because it was so fucking over the top it was just, just it was so awesome and so funny in a way that you listen to just go, that, "That's just so fucked up." That is funny. It's comical. It's 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 funny, but it's not. You know. Um. So the the it, it was it all of this ended up being a, a big turning point. Well, I I, should, I don't want to jump ahead too far. So we recorded this stuff, and then we ended up playing playing live a few times. And 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 that's I, I played drums on all this stuff, and then, and I, I played drums uh, as part of the live thing. I ended up, um, I think, right before all of that happened, we were trying to get uh, this girl to play drums in a band that Dave Ryan was in. We were trying to get her to play drums for us. x photo had a drum machine for a long time, and and we wanted to try to incorporate drums. Uh, live drums in our thing and there was a drummer that we liked that was that had been playing in a band with Dave Ryan she quit and we asked her if she would play with us uh and and Larry and I had this idea that that she, that we'd have her play an electronic kit along with the drum machine and, and like maybe trigger stuff on the drums well that didn't work out she re- she rehearsed for us with us for a month or so we had a show and then she flaked and that was that but we still had the drum kit, so I started using the drum kit for the bunk stuff, and building up samples, and, um, building up like kits to use for for bunk. And I and then I, I started playing playing that kit live. Um, we had all that in place, and uh, and then we got to thinking we could probably do this live. And there was a show that X Photo got asked to do, in the Inland Empire. And I'm sure if if Chris or Jason were around, they would know the place. I cannot for the life of me remember the place. Linda had to go had to go out of town. I think she had to go back home to see family or she was going on a trip. Uh, so she couldn't do it. And uh, and and either Larry or I were, were like, well, Bunk could play. And she goes, oh, okay. I think she was talking to the promoter. And then she she called the promoter back and said, said hey, X-Voto can't do it, but Larry and Dee are doing this thing with their friend Michael Haley called bunk and they're totally down to, to play. And, and they were like, okay. <clears throat> and that was our first show.
1: <clears throat> yeah. I don't, I don't remember that. I remember one show we played at, um, uh, Oh, what's that, that German, uh, Hoffbaum place, um, village is something village, man. I wish I had have- a, remember this place they they do like every october they have october there, and it's this giant you know thing down there
0: Lawrence like is that like alpine village do we
1: yeah, I think it was alpine village and i I remember going like that. what are we doing here and it was a really maybe there was like ten people there
0: i don't don't remember that
1: yeah, it was crazy times That's i think crazy. we're I think we're about halfway through too so. Oh yeah, um,
0: so we uh, we did that. We played Al's bar, and um, the, the the a couple of things happened for, for me with that um, that were important. One of which was, uh, uh so Larry had Larry bought an Atari ten forty ST computer, and mm. he started and he did this about a year before the bunk thing happened. And he was slowly um, trying, he was slowly working out like new material and and migrating um, old expodo material from the sequencer. We were using like an Alesis MMT8 hardware sequencer for, for stuff that we sequenced. And he was slowly moving things into that and like writing new stuff in the Atari. Um, I never, I was not a computer guy at the time. I never. I I didn't have a, I didn't own a personal computer I I never really touched one uh, the, the 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 sum total of my exposure to computers was um, the 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 terminal the mainframe terminals that I would sit at uh, I was working in the garment industry at the time and my job was sitting in front of a mainframe terminal and doing data entry stuff and 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 just doing basic stuff but it was not nothing like working with a personal computer when we when we started working on the on the bunk stuff. Um, it became apparent that it was going to be easier to 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 do the sequencing stuff that needed to be done in the Atari instead of doing the thing I would normally do which is just programming in the in, in, on the cork drum machine and the mmt8 so uh, Larry kind of sat me down one day and goes okay there's there's file save here's how you load a fl-. like literally like here's how you load a floppy here's how you do a
1: and <laughs> This He's is like the, here, here's yeah. your future, D.
0: Exactly. That's that's the thing. That that's why I was telling you, Michael. That like that that it was a turning point for me on a number of fronts. It was the first time I sat in front of a personal computer, which led to what I'm doing now. That was that was kind of the turning point.
1: So between Jesse and Larry, and this is uh, Larry Rainwater, who was a local legend for us, and he definitely changed my life as well. We may have to do a Larry tribute show as well but he's still alive he's still so alive. maybe we'll interview yeah. him
0: right so um yeah so on that um i i guess it's a it's a good t- time to, to bring up the fact too is that uh jesse that the guy who inspired the name in the first track uh tragically passed away about a month a month or two ago um it was it was a big shock for me because I, I continued to, to remain really close to him after he moved to Berlin and, and would go back. Um, and we would often like coordinate trips back to, to orange County at the same time. Um, I actually stayed at his house um, during one trip a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, we remained really tight and I actually talked to him shoot man, not, not more than a month before he passed and he was not doing well then. And it was a real bummer. And uh, uh, it was it was it was really hard. It was a hard thing to take um, because of the way he went. I still think about him. I miss him something awful.
1: Mm. I'm sorry um, to hear that, Mr. D.
0: In fact, the album that I'm working on now, uh, the title is, is a title and a, and a lot of the material is kind of a tribute to him. It was just it's a lot of it was inspired by things him and I would talk about. Um, yeah, it's a bummer so, um where were we? Oh, we were talking about shows oh yeah and and then so, um uh Larry showed me how to use the atari and then and the one day, and I'll never forget it, he goes, okay, I'm going to go out and mow the lawn uh if you need if you have any questions, let me know, but uh get cracking and <laughs> And uh, I started uh, and, and I set about uh, doing all of the the, the drum and uh, synth sequencing on Steinberg, Pro tracks 20, whatever the precursor was to Cubase. It was like Pro 24 because it was like 24, 24 tracks of MIDI. Um, and, I, and I did the, I worked out all the sequenced uh, uh, sequence part stuff uh, for the demos. In the Atari, and that was like my first exposure to, for, to uh, a personal computer. I ended up getting one myself later to work on my stuff. Um, I still had it when we were working on uh, doing the penal colony stuff. You can see it, see it in the in the picture in that uh, the demos album cover. My Atari's in there. Um, and then uh, and that happened, and then the other the other thing that was important for uh, with that thing. For uh, for me was um, it in no small part ended up being uh, uh, some of a bit of a cachet that I had in my back pocket when I started talking to the Texas Vamp guys about starting penal colony. I was not a singer. I just want I just knew I wanted to front a band and um, I I, kind of used uh, recording demos as a way to demonstrate that I could front a band. But uh, I knew it was going to be an uphill battle. And I just kind of lucked out in that these guys already knew me. And, but the more yeah. important thing about knowing me was they were among the 15 or 20 people that actually saw Bunk Live.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: They loved Bunk. Like those guys fucking loved Bunk. Um, uh, I, I went to, to watch them play after um, Nikki told me that they, they needed somebody. Uh, and, uh, one of the first conversations we had was, was about bunk and how much they love bunk. And when we were talking about using this as a means to using, using, uh, me joining, uh, joining up with them as a means to, to make a left turn in terms of creative direction. The thing we kept coming back around to was, was bunk as a starting point.
1: So you tricked them.
0: No, I don't know about that,
1: (laughs) but if
0: you, if you listen, you know, you listen to, you listen to the first album, any of the stuff, you listen to the demos album, it's, it's Chris playing through a rap pedal. It's Chris making like Michael Haley.
1: That's funny. You you did that thing. That's like David Lee Roth, how he got into Van Halen was I think they had another singer before him and he showed up and he, and he had a, a bunch of money and he, he showed up with a PA. He says, I have a PA we can play through, we can do live shows on our own. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, you know, he did his whole thing. And then they went, all right, we'll give you a shot. And then, you know, now Bunk, Van Halen, Bunk did not turn into Van Halen. Let's just be clear. We no. didn't make any records.
0: Nope.
1: We made 15 friends. I don't know how. Yes. I barely remember what happened except for that, that show at the Alpine Village or whatever it was called down there.
0: For that. We got to play Al's bar that that was that was my like the two the two big highlights for me uh, just just playing around town um, from like from like the early 80s all the way up until I moved were playing at Al's bar with bunk to probably 20 people. And uh, when when I got into penal colony, we got to play the Hong Kong Cafe, which was huge for me. And and again, it was there was no one there, but I was so fucking excited about playing the Hong Kong Cafe.
1: Yeah. So we're just you know, two old guys reminiscing about our past, the bunk past. I I I forgot that we had done Alice Bar. I have vague recollections of that. That's where I met my first wife. That's also where I saw. Yeah, she was a bar- she was a bartender there. Shut up! Yeah, itty bitty world we're living in. Wow, and it was it was a nightmare down there. It was great because you'd like you show up and there was just you know homeless folk you know kind of milling about there and they'd break into your car and oh, it works. was
0: crazy there at that time.
1: It was not. It was just like yeah. you did not want to go down there. But you know, I saw bands like like Nirvana played there. You did you know? I saw Cake there. I saw. All sorts of amazing bands, and uh, you know, and all my local friends' bands and extra fancy played there a number of times. When I was, I played bass and blood on the saddle for about a year, and we played there. And uh, I just love that place. And I was that was kind of like my one of my go tos. I'd show up, and me too. Everyone was, you know, pretty drunk and surly. And I love that place. And it was great. It was like someone threw a hand grenade in there. It exploded, and they opened the doors and said, "Okay." Come on in. We're ready to go.
0: There's a really great documentary about it on, um, about Al Spar, uh, that that I found on Amazon Prime. I'll,
1: I'll, I'll find a link to it and and I'll put it in the
0: episode. It was great.
1: I'd heard about it, I hadn't actually seen it yet. Oh,
0: it's good, Michael. You should watch it. It's great. It's really good. Yeah. But it was a big deal to me to get to play there. You know, that's like it's a piece of history, that place. And it already was by the time we, we played there. You know, I was like so excited to play there.
1: And so this all so did Jesse what did he think of Bunk? He loved it. Oh, he loved it. He loved that
0: that we called the band Bunk. <laughs> he was more excited. You know, he was in Germany by the time we did that. He was gone, he was long gone. But you know, I was still talking to him. Yeah. And I told him what we did. He was so excited. He, you know, he was it's it's so weird because because you know I really looked up to him because he was like, again, he was one of the OG OG. uh, He was part of that, that early, early um, Huntington beach crew, you know, like, like he told stories about that, you know, that predated me by a couple of years and stuff like stuff that went on um, before I started playing in, in the uninvited and got, got involved in the scene and stuff. And so he, I, I really looked up to him, but like, he was funny. Like he was just such a huge fan of, of Larry and like shit that I did. He uh, about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I was, I was talking to him on, on on video chat and he pulled a tape out of his, out of his back. He was like, Hey, listen to this. Remember this? Remember this? And he he had like, he had tapes of stuff that I'd done that I don't even have anymore.
1: So he's still,
0: he's I guarantee you all the way up until he passed. He had, he had the tape that we recorded that day. The tape he took home like he kept that shit and he listened to it all the time and he was so fucking excited about bunk so excited
1: i think that's the thing you know like what i'm getting from you talking about all this or us talking about all this is just how these little things we just do on our day-to-day you know in the in the treasury of music and the delight of it you know the little sort of victories and those things that may not mean anything to anyone else. People are going to be like, bunk who? You know, like, what are you guys talking about? Right. And, um, but, you know, it, it spawned you into a whole new world. I mean, I didn't, I, had, I didn't touch a computer until the 90s, I think.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and it was, and they were, it was infuriating. I was just trying to deal with email and I was so mad at this computer. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like this is bullshit, you know and i didn't touch it for a month and then i got my first little cubase system you know a buddy of mine said i, I am like i I, ha- I got a chunk of money and i was gonna like buy some uh, you know analog audio gear." and my buddy said can i make a recommendation my friend anu who we're gonna have on this show oh great and he said uh you know what i have a suggestion you know i think and here's why he's he's a super brilliant guy And he got me kind of plugged into, you know, getting a, a PC and Cubase. And, um, this was, you know, I know professionals were starting to meddle with, with the computer audio and whatnot. And, uh, and I was like, okay, you know, and he said, I've, I've never regretted buying this kind of gear for me. And he said, I think it's going to change your world. And he was right. You know, he was one of those guys for me continues to like, he'll plant a seed that I didn't, I didn't even ask for, like, there's, he'll be like, Oop, there's a little seed for you to check out. And then it starts to germinate. And the next thing I know, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm, you know, all those computer skills, you know, really turned into a, a whole different world for me and a whole different perspective on music mm-hmm. and, and people and how we can communicate. I mean, the today, I mean, really you can publish anything you want, you know, like we're just, we're putting this, uh, these podcasts up and I'm still, it blows my mind how simple it is to do it for better or for worse, whether you like this show or not, you know, like you yeah. can put stuff up and you can connect with, you know, what a hundred people have downloaded this crazy podcast that we're doing. And I'm, I'm like a hundred people. I'm like, I don't even, I'm not even sure I know a hundred people. Right. You know? I know. That, like, I know. I got
0: excited about it too. I, I mean, when it, when it reached 50, I was like, well, shit, we're already beyond the halo of, of our, <laughs> you know, we're like we're famous. And I, I know I got excited about, oh, so
1: sure. Funny. I don't know
0: 50, I don't know 50 people,
1: but it's delightful. I mean, that's, a, and that's the thing I think about what delighted people about bunk and your buddy, Jesse, who really, you know, just these little seeds of like these characters that were around, like I, that I ended up in orange County hanging out with you guys because of some girl i was dating right was was like that was never supposed to happen and how i met her and and that was i was in the inland empire was just all this stuff and i think back and i'm like how is that ever going to happen that was not supposed to happen and yet here we are talking into a a little light box in front of us and i think about shit all the time and i you know and like
0: that and then God love you, Michael Haley. I, I think, I think you and I, you know, we, we stayed in touch after that, but you know, we weren't, we weren't taught. Talk- I don't know that we were talking all the time, but when the Punic call anything happened, I think I rang you up and was like, Hey, can you help us with this? Yeah. And, and I mean, we couldn't have done any of that stuff without you. Like all of that happened, you know, but, but like getting back to the the thing you were talking about, about this podcast, it's like, you talk about stuff like that. I can, I can draw A straight line from what we're doing now back to Larry making me sit down in front of that Atari to program beats, you know.
1: Yeah. I could
0: just I I just know it it all kind of started with that, and I was terrified doing it at the time. Like I was afraid I was going to break his computer or do something (laughs) something weird. You know. Yeah. He's one
1: of those. He's one of those journeymen, you know, who's just. I mean, he taught me so much too. He helped me build like a rack. And he's like, oh, yeah, let's go make a rack out in the garage. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, a, you know, to put rack mount gear in. He's like, ah, let's, you know, it'll take us two or three hours. we got to let it sit, and we'll go get some lunch at whatever that Mexican place was. It was down there that I fell in love with. And Harbor. Yeah. we come back, and, like, and then I'm like, and then the next thing I know, you know, we spray painted it. And then I'm, like, wheeling it home, you know, in an afternoon. And he's just one of those guys who can... Pick up stuff and like, and he did that with the audio and the the music and certainly hanging out in that world. And I'm like, I wasn't into goth music, and you guys are down there creeping out down in Orange County. I'm like, you guys are really weird, but I like you, you know. And all these characters and Todd and the bunk logo, which I love so much. Those like log logo and oh
0: then- right, I forgot about that. That was great.
1: Yeah, so it's just it's so funny and like I don't know, this this weird little two guys having a little nostalgia fit here, but like, you know, it totally changed our lives. These little things. And, yeah, it, and I, think thing- it's, I,
0: I think it's okay to talk about this
1: because, because oh, I, think it's I want to, talk, to talk, about. talk
0: about it because, because of, of the impact it had. And, yeah. and it, I, I think bringing it back around to this podcast, it's, it's a teaching moment in a way um, that that experience completely um completely, turned me upside down in, 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 it purely like in terms of how I thought about music up to that point, like what music could be, um, without even what, I mean, when it was completely accidental, it was totally accidental the way it started out. And then, and then we just kind of refined it. And, uh, but it was, it was so thrilling for me because the ideas there were, it was just this collection of ideas that on paper just made no sense it just didn't make any sense it should not have worked
1: no well it's one of the it's the audacity we talked about before of like even picking up an instrument thinking you're going to do anything that's going to make any difference anywhere in the world to anyone and that's one of the first obstacles is like there's this urge to make stuff making you know and it could be ridiculous stuff so i i heard some this heavy, heavy metal band the other day and it was so ridiculous and so over the top. And I just loved it. I was just like, how did they think of this? They have their costumes on, you know, like, and I'm just like, you know, the, uh, the corpse paint makeup. And I'm like, "What?" like, where did you get the, but it's like, there's this, all these threads and people that they met and like the culture that they're born into and the things that they heard, like little seeds of things that kind of patched together. And then there you are, you're sitting in Portland. I'm sitting in studio city. Yeah. You know, making music and making you know code and doing all sorts of technical stuff that like I couldn't have even fathomed. I had no interest in that stuff. I thought, what is this? You know, same. But, one, but once you step over that threshold, like you did on the Atari computer, where you're like, oh, it's like learning. You know, it's exactly yeah, it makes
0: sense. Like uh, just within that day, like I, I I got through a couple songs and it just all yeah. the click. You know, I just started my brain started working with my hands the same way they did. Uh, when I stood in front of the drum machine and and the sequencer, like it just all started to click and it it just became really fluid. And once I got past that hump, like everything, nothing seemed impossible.
1: Yeah. That perseverance.
0: And it was, it was, and the thing was, you know, like getting, uh, getting back to what you were saying about what you're doing now, what I'm doing now, it, it all just started as, it it, it, was, it was, I'm sure it was same with you, it was not a conscious thing. We just, we had some people in, 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 our, in our lives, thankfully, that kind of propped us up and showed us what was possible. And I wasn't even thinking about learning how to use a computer. I didn't care about learning how to use a computer. I just wanted to get, I just wanted to get these songs done. Yeah, and I just saw this as the best tool to use it. I didn't like, and it it didn't even consciously occur to me at the time uh, that I'm learning how to use a personal computer. I didn't care. I just knew it was the best. It was the best tool in the room for what we were trying to do. And then, and then that turned into something else. And then that turned into something else. That became what I'm doing now. And it's like it was that the the tools was was not the was not the conscious move. It was just the means to the end which to this day is kind of the same way with me with writing code. It's just, you know, they're just tools, they're just they're just the means to the end. That's it. Well,
1: it's, kind of, it's kind of like anything too. I mean, you know, it's like Larry handed you handed you like a little flint rock and a, some pieces of wood and goes like, okay, go make a song. And you're like, okay. He said, just do this, this, and this, and I'll be back after I mow the lawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah. What? I mean, it's like that with anything. I mean, with money, like money is a language. You know, food, music, any of that stuff. It's like you just need a few people to sort of give us direction and show us, you know, and keep on uh, correcting course as we go. Much meditation. like meditation, Michael. Yeah, the
0: meditation. And med- I, I have these bad I have these toxic thoughts, thoughts all the time, Michael. What do I do
1: with them? I'm like, yeah, wrap your arms around them. Say, hey, give them some taters, invite them in. And then uh you know start to wonder why they're there you know you don't and trying to not believe them but just go wow that's that's a terrible terrible thought yeah and and noticing that it's not yours but also getting you know just the kind of life and death of all of this you know that jesse's gone from the planet you know it's just like i love i was just thinking about this this week thinking about this episode like the people that have influenced me that are gone now. You know, like my first wife. She's she's passed. She's gone.
0: Yeah, and uh,
1: really and tough. I think I th- I thought about like this whole insane world that I got into when I met her. Right, and and you know the more more time for that later. But you know the people that influence us, you know, especially Jesse, and that influence me, and I didn't even know. I mean, maybe I met him once or twice. I'm sure he did. He probably did. And like he how that smart. spun us. I mean, and here we are talking about Jesse, you know? Yeah. And Bunk and the ridiculousness of that band and just where all these like threads come from and these seeds that get planted. So, And then we get to say, you know, which seeds we're going to pay attention to and water and cultivate. Yeah. And try not to rip them out of the ground to see if they're growing okay. <laughs> like I know, like I want to jump ahead and go like, "Is that how are we doing?" And it's like, "Oh, the plant's dead now." You just ripped it out of the ground. It's like you just kind of let things settle. Pay attention to them. But like that connection with people, like Jesse, you know, that must have been. I mean, obviously, it's enormous because here we are talking about him.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really miss him. That was that was uh, of of like you. I've had a lot of people. I've lost a lot of people in recent years, and that was the toughest for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I there's uh, as as a follow on. I have I have another thing I, I wanted to wanted to share, Michael, around the bunk thing, and that yeah. is that I is is uh, after. So we did this crazy thing in 1990, and then over the years, I began to recognize bands doing the same thing Mm -hmm. morphine comes to mind right and i I don't know i don't know if i think i'm pretty sure we predated morphine morphine might have been morphine when we were doing our thing but i was not aware of morphine um when we are so good but they were great you know the great example of a band that was just a bass player and and drums and saxophonist like this weird configuration but um I was actually talking to you about this, Michael. I didn't even know. So, um, like you, like I listen to new stuff all the time, just just to just to hear what other people are doing, just to to get ideas, and and just to listen. For for me, lately, if I'm in the middle of like working on an album, I I, I listen. I, I listen to new stuff through the lens of how people are mixing things and mastering things, and and is there anything about, excuse me, what they're doing that um that might trigger something for me. Mm-hmm. There's a band from, from the UK called Royal Blood. They've been around for a while. Um and I think this last album they did, they, they worked with Josh Homme on it. I didn't know any of this, and, and I it was just they there was just a new album by this band called Royal Blood, and the out and, and the cover looked interesting. And I started to play it, and 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 the mix. The mix uh, of the entire album, just just the production. Uh, I just love the production of the whole thing, and I think I actually shared it with you at some point um, a few weeks ago. Yeah. I didn't even. I listened to the whole album, and I wasn't even, and I wasn't even hip to this until I, I watched a few of their videos. They're doing the bunk thing. Mm. I'm going to play you something. I'm just I, I'm just going to play you a few seconds of something. Uh, so this is off their new album. So, drone at the beginning of the song. That is a bass drone, and that's it. It's, it's basically bump with, with, with the melodic scene. Synth, guitar, synth, bass, drums. That's it. Synth. And those guys are huge right now. Those guys are big. And it's just
1: Maybe we should get the band back together, D. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Josh. But, say, hey, you got any spare time? You got a weekend and an neat track? Maybe we can make a record.
0: Yeah, they're like a big deal. Like, uh, I heard an interview with them on um, Apple Music One. Elton John's a big fan of these guys. Mm. Josh Homme loves them and it's, and it's two guys. It's a bass player who sings and a drummer and that's it.
1: I think keeping it simple is the, the way of things. It seems like a lot of the, especially in the last 10 years, a lot of the bands that I've heard, you know, black keys and like people like that, it's just like two guys, yep, two people, I should say making music, you know, kind of duos and, and, uh, but that, very you know, simple. that
0: the guitar drums thing became became a, a pretty common thing. The bass and drums thing, not not quite as common. Not quite yeah, as
1: like common. what is that? Uh, that band, Death from Above, nineteen seventy nine. Right. Or so I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: give this to I'm gonna I'm, we'll put this in in the uh, the episode description too. There's, a, there's an entire Reddit link. There's an entire link on Reddit where people are calling out bands that are just bass and drums, and that was one of the ones they brought up.
1: Ah.
0: Royal Blood. There's a Japanese band called Ruins that, that actually sounds a little more like bunk. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they, they all seem to have this common thing of, of, of not, of with the exception of morphine of bass through a distortion pedal drummer and yeah. stuff. That's it.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, these ideas, I mean, getting kind of talking about mindfulness, you know, what I've noticed is it, like inventors and all the inventions that have come and we're, and we're a little, we're like, did another half of the time here.
0: That's okay.
1: There's a, you know, a lot of the inventors in the world, like these similar ideas pop up in the, in the world, where there's just no connection to them, but it's the similar or exact same idea. And I think these ideas are just floating out about there. Like, I, I don't even think we can take credit for all this stuff, but, but just grabbing them before, you know, and, and grounding it into being creative and putting something out there in the world. And it may, and these sort of waves of familiar ideas that come out um is always fascinating to me like how the, how do people get connected and it, it's a little harder these days because we're so connected on the internet you know and it's so easy for these things to travel through you know the the interwebs toward us or on the radio we're way more connected but it's just know.
0: interesting that 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 people in these Disparate parts of the world, you know, I'm who certainly probably never heard, I you know, I can't take credit for it. I mean, the, the odds of them finding bunk recording on SoundCloud are probably and, and thinking, oh, we should start <laughs> a band that does that is slim enough. But what's interesting is is that how these people in all these, these different parts of the world kind of landed on the same idea.
1: Yeah, I love that. You know, I I think these ideas are floating around the world, you know, they're just conversations that are out there. I mean, you can look at politics or um, just politics alone, you know, like these, these manifestos and these ideas that are out there and they'll, they'll latch onto one of them and they'll run it into the ground. You know what I mean? They'll take it. And then people will get on board and go, yeah, we need more of that. Like I just saw uh, the summer of soul, that quest love, I've watched it twice now, two or three. Man, times. that that's another great example of uh you know, a change was afoot and uh culturally, locally, nationally, internationally. You know, he really did a fantastic job in showing like these ideas were not unique to Harlem, you know what I mean, and the and the black movement, and um it's totally fascinating to me. Yeah. And um and I think that's the same with music too. I mean, I'm really finding that, you know, we just look for those little seeds and those little strands and threads that we want to latch onto and then we weave something together for ourselves and and then hone it, you know. Like all the music you've done, you know, I'm sure like everything you did before sort of informs the next piece and we're trying to you know, progress and come up with something like, you know, okay, I'm done with that. And I don't know what's next, but I have a I have some kind of sense scratching at my brain, and then you just kind of you know jump into uh, jump into the air and see what's there, you know, and grab at something. The bunk
0: thing is is was a big moment. It's it's still something that I refer back to in my mind. Where like if I'm about to do something that's that's really unconventional or or it seems like a weird idea it's a lot of it's informed by, by that experience. It's like, well, we did that thing where it was just bass and drums. I mean, that worked. This should work, yeah. you know,
1: um, same, same with all that stuff with John Napier I mean, he stretched my brain out and working on that stuff. I'm just like, you can't do that. And he would just do it. And I'm like, Whoa, okay. Maybe you can't, I mean, that was his whole life, you know, for better, for worse. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, just really applying it to our creativity, I think is, uh, for me, key because I fall into these ruts, I pick up the guitar, and it's the same chords. I pick up a bass, so I have to pick up a different instrument or retune the instrument and go like, "Oh wow, my fingers work differently in these spots. So I have to really put a different obstacle in my way same that that's why that's why
0: I wanted uh, nihilism to be completely a completely electronic record yes yeah, i I had literally spent like seven or eight years doing that mimeograph stuff, which was all acoustic guitars and upright bass. Yeah. And uh, hollow body electric. And I, I was just, I was ready for, to do something else. Yeah. And I thought I just I'll do it. I hadn't done an, a, an entire album of electronic stuff in a long since since then. Just wanted to do it. Um, I think we're at a good point to do uh, the oblique strategies card. Yeah. Our oblique strategies card for today, Michael Haley is
1: accretion accretion accretion
0: i just met you one (laughs) (laughs) accretion
1: wow okay
0: that's it i wanted to show it to you just so you could see it was one word so the definition the merriam-webster definition of accretion is the process of growth or increase typically by the gradual accumulation of additional layers or matter it's perfect. So what do you think? What does that mean to you?
1: I think that's exactly what we've been talking about. That's spooky. The is it? I guess it is.
0: Yeah. Just like, you know, that like a, way. I always frame it in, in I was framing and frame these things in my head in the micro instead of the macro, you think about things more about these things more in the macro and you're right. That is freaky. That's freaky
1: yeah i mean every everything you know affects everything else, and it led up to this very point right now
0: and that was a random card that I pulled that card at random just out of the deck yesterday.
1: Is it really random though no <laughs> <laughs> crazy that'll be a whole other episode randomness randomness or so we think yeah yeah there's a there's a strange on that note there's just a a strange way that things order themselves you know when I if i'm looking and I'm, I'm i try not to add to it you know or to i don't know if i'm making it up but when i notice how things have all led to a certain point and it couldn't have happened any other way all the times that all the failures that i had you know led to the some of the best things in my life all the things that fell apart you know all of that sort of and if i'm paying attention and if i'm slowing down and just going like you know what was all that for? You get to say what it's for. You can look and see. Um, yeah, it's any, it, I don't know. It adds a, a whole new layer to my life of gratitude, you know, and just being, you know, grateful for what comes up for better or for us. Because I know life can be a bloodbath as well as a complete joy, you know. But uh, we seem to all be in it and trying to to hammer it all out. So
0: Stephen Colbert, um his he i think he had a sibling like his sister passed away or his parents and he took it really really hard and he i I watched an interview with him where he got asked about it and um was asked if he considered it a tragedy and he and he said something interesting that stuck with me ever since he said it he said no i consider it a gift it's all a gift because you know the fact that we actually get to be here is as living breathing Homo sapiens um, is a gift. Uh, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. And we both had, you know, both uh, both of us have been through some bad stuff. Um and we've had we've had deaths of people close to us. And it's it's tragic. All those things are tragic, but in in a way they they were after he said that, I got to thinking, well, yeah, like some of the things that happened to me me in a way are a gift because they, they couldn't have happened any other way. I wouldn't be where I am had those things not happened. And I, and I, and I, I I can quantify why and how, you know, losing Jesse was very tragic, but, um, it's, it's still a gift because, uh, he lives on in my memory and all the things that he did, all the things that, that we talked about. And, um, the things he did to help foster my creativity. And I'm, I'm uh, much of the, the album I'm working on now was inspired by conversations I had with him. So mm. I have that gift out the uh, on the other side of it. It's a gift. It's all a gift.
1: Well, on that note, here's to Jesse.
0: Here's to Jesse.
1: I raised a, a glass and a mug to you. Click. Here's to you, D. Here's to you, Michael. Thanks for doing this with me. I hope you, uh, you cuckoos out there are getting something out of this. I'm having a good time.
0: Go make stuff. Everybody go make stuff.
1: Go make stuff. And listen to your, thoughts. <laughs> and do your thoughts. Do something, as my old boss used to say.
0: Do something. Like like Linda used to say, move the pencil from the left of the desk to the right of the desk. <laughs> do something. Anything.
1: Something. Do- All right, amigo. All right, brother. Thank you again. Till next week. Adios.